Well, I want to welcome everybody joining us online. And of course, if you're here in the room, uh, my name's Austin. I'm one of the pastors around here at the Creek. And today we are in week three or on week three of a series called Masterpiece. And if maybe this is your first time with us, you're jumping in online for the first time and you're not sure what's going on with this series, I'm gonna catch you up real quick. Uh, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Week one was super uplifting. We learned that we're all a complete mess. Remember that? We're all a mess. Our life's a mess. Our story's a mess, all that good stuff. We even determined that some of us are a hot mess, all right? And a hot mess, we said, was that it's such a mess that you actually just kind of want to stare at it. You just want to look at it. You just want to watch it. Some of y'all are a hot mess. You're not willing to admit it. But we determined that we're a mess. Our stories, if we look back over our life, the one thing we kind of have in common is we, we probably would say, hey, it's, it's just kind of messy. Uh, and a matter of fact, for many of us, we would probably even say it's still kind of messy. My life's kind of messy as it is. Uh, so week one, that's what we talked about, that our life is a mess, but we didn't leave it there. There was good news that came along with that. And that good news came from Ephesians chapter two, that God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so that none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. So not only did we talk about the fact that we are a mess, but we talked about the fact that God takes our mess and turns it, turns it into a masterpiece. That if we look at our story in our life and we feel like it's a complete mess, God can redeem that. God redeemed that through Jesus uh, and he turned our life into a masterpiece. Now, we established that and then we moved into week two. And, and last week we talked about what God says about us doesn't always feel true to us. That maybe God says we're a masterpiece or God says this about us or that about us. And we know these truths, some of them, but we tend to feel and believe and think in a different way about ourselves. Uh, we, we tend to think of ourselves um, in a way that's contradictory to what the truth says and what God says about us. And that's, that's a pretty big deal. Solomon reminded us last week that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And so if we're thinking wrong about ourselves, then we have a wrong perspective of reality. We have the wrong outlook on reality. And the truth is, is that our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. We said that last week as well. Our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts and the way we think shape our understanding and our experience with reality. And so what we said last week is if we're thinking wrong, if our thoughts aren't lining up with truth, then we need to rethink our story. And Pastor Trevor gave us three steps to make that happen. Number one, identify the lies. What are the lies? What are the consistent things that, that you kind of fall back into that, that are lies that you buy into? Number two, replace those lies with truth. So get in the word, get in scripture, figure out what the truth says, what God says is true about you and replace those lies with truth. And then number three, rinse and repeat. Repeat the truth until you silence the lies. Repeat that truth to yourself. Repeat it all day, repeat it all week, repeat it all month, repeat it all year, repeat it all, however long it takes until you begin to silence the lies. And so that's where we left things last week and that's kind of where we are. So we know that God can redeem us, that he's our redeemer, that he can redeem our story, he can take our mess and turn it into a masterpiece. Uh, and we know that, um, that our thoughts don't always line up with reality. They don't always line up with the truth that God has said about us. And he goes on after he tells us that we are God's masterpiece to say this, and this is where we're going today. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things 
that he planned for us long ago. Why did he do this? Why did he restore us? Why did he redeem us? He did that so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. In other words, God has a plan for you and God has a plan for me. And just because we messed that plan up doesn't mean that he left us to wallow in our own self-pity. He came in, he redeemed, and he did that so we could get back on track. He did that so that we could fulfill the plan that he has for our life. And so that's what I'm supposed to do as a follower of Jesus, as a person who says, hey, I buy into that, I follow Jesus. I'm supposed to pursue that good purpose for my life. I'm supposed to try to live life to the full because Jesus said, I came to give you life, not only eternal, but to give you abundant life. I want you to live a good, full life. I want you to live a life that overcomes. I want you to move things forward. I want you to affect the people around you in positive, good, and loving ways. And so that is why he redeemed us. And so that's our purpose. And so we're like, all right, there we are, we got that. So he redeemed us, I'm not a mess anymore, I'm a masterpiece, I'm gonna get my, my, my thinking straightened out. And so now I'm gonna go, I'm ready, all right? I'm fired up, this sounds good. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna tackle this thing, all right? Maybe you're, maybe you're new to faith, maybe, um, you know, I don't know when, when you followed Jesus, but maybe it was, it was fairly recent or maybe it was a long time ago and you've never really, really attempted to just actually follow to really live this type of life. Maybe you just, just for whatever reason, you haven't gotten there yet. Well, today what I wanna talk about is something that sort of pulls the curtain back for you because if you're going to, and those of you who are here and watching online, who maybe you're further in your faith journey and you've been at this thing for several years, you're gonna identify with what I'm gonna to say today. This is gonna to be a refresher for you. You're probably gonna be nodding your head a lot like, yep, yep. Yeah, wish somebody would have told me. But for those of you who are just getting in, all right, I'm gonna tell you something that I wish somebody would have told me. When you begin this journey with Jesus, you are now in a fight. You are now in a fight. I don't know what you know about fights, but they're not easy and they hurt. And you need to be prepared for what? you're stepping into. Now, I remember back, I guess it was 16 years ago now, when I was about to get married. You know, when you're gonna be married, you know, the, the butterflies are there and there's the flowers and the dress and the food and the invitations and the life we're gonna leave and all we need is love and we don't have any money, but we'll live on love. <laughs> Eventually love ain't enough, you gotta have some money. But anyway, that was free. But it all feels so good. But what they didn't say was you're two people. And scripturally, you're becoming one. And that's really stinking hard to pull off practically. That's really difficult. That's really messy. That is a fight, two people trying to become one, that's hard stuff. Because you got his story and her story. We're talking about our stories, right? My, let's say my story and my wife's story. So for me, uh, my family story is 
completely opposite from my wife, Jessie's, okay? My wife, she has a really small family. Her parents are together. She has a, a one set of aunt and uncle. One set of aunt and uncles? Yeah, maybe that's right. She has an aunt and an uncle, and that's it, okay? She has two cousins. She has a brother. Everybody's still married. She has two, only two sets of grandparents. That was a new one for me. All right. So that's her story. And if you could just imagine the absolute most hyperbolic extreme difference from that, that's my story over here. Okay. Divorces, everybody, aunts, uncles, grandparents. It's, it's a mess. It's a mess. Okay. I got so many cousins and sisters and halves and niece and Grandparents are used to be steps, and are they still, I mean, should I talk to them? I don't know. You know, holidays. Pfft. I ain't even talking about holidays. So we got these two different stories, and here we go. We're going to get married, and this is her picture of what family is, and this is my picture of what family is. See any issues about to arise? We got that, and then we got our baggage, and we bring we bring our baggage in, and for me, I, you know, I've struggled with anger all of my life. I've been a very, just a tense person. I've been frustrated easily. And, uh, you know, I say, I'm not angry, I'm passionate. Okay, that's just something I say to make myself feel better. I'm angry, I'm angry inside. And so I'm bringing that dynamic into the relationship. I'm super competitive and, and, and she's got, you know, her baggage, which I'm not gonna tell you because that's not mine to tell. But we bring those in. That's a little bit more, that's tougher. We're fighting, we're fighting that out, trying to two become one, two people trying to become one. Then we got our preferences, right? You bring your preferences into the relationships. See, when we got married, and for you guys who are, are, are not married yet, go ahead, if you weren't listening up to this point, if you're, if you're a fella and you aren't married, but you plan on being married, listen for the next 60 seconds at least, all right? So when we got married, my preference was dogs. I like dogs and her preference was cats. So we compromised and got two cats. <laughs> yeah. So fellas, that's how compromise works in marriage. You got that? Write that down. All you married fellas out there. Can you agree with me? Can I get an amen? Ooh, yeah. Last service, all the wives looked at them and none of them said anything. But that's tough. You got your preferences you bring in. You got your different conflict style, how you like to deal with conflict. I'm the aggressive. We need to talk about it. Don't let the sun go down on our wrath. We got to get this out in the open. She's needs processing time. Processing time. You know what's wrong. What's wrong? Nothing. I don't get the processing time. So we got that dynamic going on. And so we got to work that out. And, and when you try to take two people and mesh them into one, whew, you got a fight on your hands. You got some pain. You got some conflict. You got some tough days ahead. It's like, man, is this supposed to be this hard? Is this supposed to be this hard? Like, is this how marriage is supposed to be? And I mean, it's a tough proposition because you 
are basically trying to deny your own self-preservation instincts and, and your own selfishness because you're supposed to prefer them over yourself. You're supposed to serve them. You're supposed to forgive them. You're supposed to give them grace. You're supposed to say things like, I'm sorry. <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> yeah, that's how, that's, that's how that goes. Guys, say you're sorry. And so it's just this rub against who you are and, and who you're supposed to be. And if you're gonna make this work with the two people, it's a fight. Two becoming one is not easy. And I tell you that because when you decide to follow Jesus, when you decide that you want to live that life that, that he saved you for, you wanna pursue those good purposes that he has for your life, you are now two becoming one. You're now flesh and the sin residue that's left over there and your spirit. Because when you decide to follow Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence with you. And so now you've got these two conflicting versions of yourself, these two people, if you will. And this is the story of the two of you. You have to exist, but the problem is, is that your, your flesh and your spirit have really different goals, right? Your flesh is selfish. Your flesh wants to please you. Your flesh is lustful. Your flesh is greedy. Your flesh is arrogant, impatient, prideful. Spirit is patient and kind and loving and forgiving. And so you have this fight that starts to take place. And you need to know that that's reality, that that's what you're signing up for. I feel like it would have been a lot easier if I'd have known that, <laughs> if somebody would have told me that. This is gonna be tough. I feel like it would have been a lot easier in the marriage even. Hey, just because you're, having, you're fighting, that's, that's normal. Couples fight. Let's just learn how to fight healthy. Now, Paul, I don't know if you know who Paul is, but Paul, uh, he's one of the greatest Christian missionaries, planted tons of churches, gives us over half of the New Testament. Uh, pretty, pretty good dude. And Paul struggled with this. And Paul wrote some stuff about this. And, and I think as we read this, this is gonna start to make a little bit more sense for you. And for some of you who've already been through this, you can be like, yep, I know exactly what Paul is talking about. As he begins to describe this fight that you find yourself in when you start to pursue the good purposes that God has for you. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I wanna do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not wanna do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself. It is no longer I myself who do it but it is sin living in me. This is so confusing, I can barely read it. And that's how it feels when it's happening in your life. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, 
that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I want to do what's right and I can't do it. This is Paul. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul says, I don't do what I wanna do and I do what I don't wanna do and I hate it. And he says, there's a force that's at work, that's waging war in me. It's this force of evil. It's, it's the flesh that still exists and it's oppressive. It's attacking me. It feels like war. It feels like a fight. And that's how it feels. It's important to understand that this force is something that is coming against you and not something that you are. Does that make sense? It's important to understand that this evil, it is a force that's coming against you. It's not who you are. Because it's really easy for us if we start buying into those lies that we were talking about last week to start labeling ourselves with whatever evil or sinful thing that we seem to be attacked by. We start to feel like that's who we are, like that's our identity. I mentioned a little earlier that I brought anger into my marriage. And, and uh, I decided a couple years ago, I was like, you know, I need to get out ahead of this. Uh, I read a quote by Jordan Peterson. It said, if you need to slay a dragon, you should go to its lair before it comes to your village. Uh, and I was like, I better go get out, get out ahead of this. And so I went to a counselor and I was sharing with him kind of how I feel. And he was like, well, when did this start? And I said, man, I've been, since I was a kid, like four or five years old, I can remember being so mad and angry and just, ugh. And, uh, you know, I'd always looked at that as just a flaw of mine. Just, just a, it's just, it was a part of my identity. It was just who I was. Um, and, and it caused me all kinds of problems. And when I was younger, you know, and, and I, would, I would manifest that when I would feel it, I would manifest it in like a physical way. Like I might punch a locker or throw my cell phone or something stupid like that. Um, got a little older, grew up out of that. Um, and so I'm telling my, my doctor all this and kind of explaining some things. He asked me a few questions. And then he says, it must be really hard on you carrying all that around all the time. And I was like, yeah, it must be. <laughs> and I, I had never thought of it that way. I just thought of it as, as something that, that was me. I, I'm just angry. 
It's who I am. I never let myself think of it as something that was oppressing me or coming against me or attacking me and trying to bring me down. And I think I didn't do that because I, I felt like I should be tough enough to figure this out. I felt like it was just me being weak that I couldn't just remove this from my life. And pride wouldn't allow me to see it that way. I didn't wanna be, even to myself, I didn't wanna be seen as a victim because I'm a man. And so I would carry around anger and I knew it was a problem. And then I would say something I shouldn't say, spout something off. Uh, and then I would feel shame. And I would be angry that I got angry. <laughs> and I'm just carrying this around like this is, like this is me. And he said, he said, that must be so hard for you to carry around all the time for the last 30 years. And something clicked for me. Yeah, I bet that's taken a toll on me. And if it's something I'm carrying around, if it's something that's coming against me, then I can, I can take it off. I can fight it. I can do something about it. And that's what's going on in this fight with your flesh and your spirit. The evil, the sin, the temptation, it's not who you are. It's an enemy of yours. Paul dealt with this to an extreme level. And he goes on to say, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. And I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know how to use the internet. And wretched means miserable. Wretched means miserable. Paul's, Paul's like, I'm, I'm a miserable man and I don't know exactly what was bothering him and what he couldn't do that he wanted to do or what he did that he wished he hadn't done. But I tell you this, it was something serious enough to make him call himself a wretched man. I'm pretty sure it wasn't because he stubbed his toe and said a four letter word. Paul's got something serious going on. Something that's bringing shame into his life and he's in a fight he said it's waging war. And that's what happens when you strive to live the life that God has for you to live. That's the reality of it. You got a fight on your hands. So what happens when we don't realize that and, and we try, all of a sudden we start meeting this resistance. We start feeling the pain of the fight and, and we're not ready for it. And, and so we just back down. We just, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in for all this, this pain of this and fighting through this. And so we just back off and sooner or later we kind of forget about it and we just go back to our lackluster, mediocre life and existence. All the while knowing that God has a plan for us and a purpose for us. See the thing is that it will cause pain. Change, it causes pain. But in this scenario, because we believe God to be true, the reality is this, the pain of changing is far less than the pain of refusing to change. 
The pain of changing is far less than the pain of refusing to change. See, I don't know what's at stake for you. I don't know what your struggle is and I don't know what's at stake. I don't know if maybe your job's at stake. Maybe you got a terrible attitude, glass half empty. Tell everybody about it. You're bringing the team down. Some changes need to be made. It's gonna be tough. It's gonna be painful. It's gonna be a fight. But the pain of making those changes is far less than the pain of you losing your job, losing your income, losing your livelihood, and having to go home and tell your wife and kids, I lost my job. Maybe your marriage is at stake. Maybe your children's future. Maybe just your happiness. Maybe your sanity. Maybe your life. What's at stake? I don't know what it is for you. But I do know that the pain of changing is far less than the pain of not changing. Now, I want everybody to do something for me. Take a big, deep breath with me. and Let it out. All right, we've been kind of heavy so far. There's good news coming. There's good news coming. We're gonna lighten the load. Because Paul says, what a wretched man I am. And then he says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, when you follow Jesus and the spirit came alongside of you, it set you free from all of this sin and evil and the consequences of all that. You don't have to worry about the end game anymore. You don't have to worry about eternity. But Jesus said, I want you to have a good life here too. And I have a purpose for you here too. But you don't have to worry about this. You don't have to stress about this. You don't have to worry that because you did it again, maybe he doesn't love you anymore or maybe you're not gonna make it into heaven. You don't have to play that game. You're free from all that. The mind governed by the flesh is death. So if we let our flesh tell our mind what to do, that leads to death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. That's what we want. We wanna let the spirit lead because it leads to life and peace. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. The inverse of that means if you belong to Christ, 
and the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. You guys catch what that just said? That just said that the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that holds that kind of power, lives in you. The spirit lives in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You have resurrection power in you. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit in John 14. He said, I'll ask the father and he will give you another advocate because Jesus was going away to be crucified. He will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Jesus asked God to send the spirit, the advocate, the counselor, the helper to come alongside of us, to not leave us as orphans. Jesus goes on to say the world cannot accept him. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. He lives with you and he'll be with you. So the Holy Spirit comes along to give you understanding, to help you understand. See the word that was used for Holy Spirit, it carried the idea that it was any person who helped another person with, with a problem with the law, with a legal issue. And that stuff gets really complex if you're not an attorney and you need one to tell you like, what does this even mean? And sometimes faith can feel that way. Sometimes you need one to tell you, what should I say? What shouldn't I say? Sometimes you need one just to help you understand and give you guidance and direction. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. That's what that power can do for you and for me. It can help us understand things that we couldn't before. It can give us wisdom that we never thought we could have. It can point us in the right direction. It can help us to know what to say or more often than not for me, what not to say. When to keep your mouth shut. You have that spirit. Now, take an interesting segue here. Before I had my daughter, my first daughter, I have two now, but before my first daughter was born, I never actually considered the possibility that I might end up in prison. But after my daughter was born, I was, I'm, I'm being serious. I was like, man, if somebody hurts my little girl, 
that's going to be hard for me not to retaliate. If somebody hurts any of my girls, my wife, Ellie, Annie, you want to talk about a battle, the flesh and the spirit. See, I think it's really cool when we get to watch the video of the parent in the courtroom that looks at the killer or whoever and says, I forgive you. That's so powerful. But if I'm being honest, I don't know if I got that in me. But I know who does. The Holy Spirit. And if something like that was to ever happen and I was able to be the person that stood up and said, I forgive you, it was all the Holy Spirit. I think it must be for anybody who can do that. And so the Holy Spirit, there's, for whatever reason, mystery around it. It's spiritual. Is it like the wind? It's hard to catch. Is it an it? It's not an it. Jesus said, he will come. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And so if the Spirit has that much power, if I'm gonna fight, but I can leverage this power, that seems like it's gonna make the, the playing field quite unlevel. So I'd like to go with that option. So how do I seek the Holy Spirit? What do I do to leverage that to the fullest of its potential? The honest answer I don't completely know, but I have some thoughts and I have some ideas and you can feel free to disagree with them and we can talk about it, all right? But how do you seek the Holy Spirit? First of all, this is elementary, but I think we gotta start here. You gotta trust that he is with you. You gotta trust that he's with you. You gotta trust what Jesus said, that the Father is sending the helper, the advocate, the spirit to be with you and to stay with you. And that that spirit is the one that raised Jesus from the dead. You gotta trust that he's with you. You gotta believe that. You gotta study, all right? You gotta study about the Holy Spirit. What is this? What's the Holy Spirit? What can it do? What can it do? They say it can do all these things and they say that I figure it out, study. If it's that powerful, if it can have that profound of an impact on your life, Number two, ask for more of him. Ask for more. Now, when you accept Jesus, you get the spirit. But there's also places in scripture that say things like, don't be a drunkard, be full of the spirit. And so if, if the spirit can provide you with some wisdom, I'm just saying, ask for more. If the Spirit can provide you with understanding, I'm saying ask for more. I'm saying get down, beg if you have to, and ask God to give you more of the Spirit, more of the power that raised Jesus from the dead. If you got a situation, you got something you need to change in your life because the circumstances are dire, you get down on your knees and you beg God to use that power in your life to redeem and change your situation. 
You take Jesus at face value when he said, be like the persistent widow who just kept asking and asking and asking. And finally the judge said, okay, ask for more. Seek more, get thirsty for more, whatever this is, whatever he can do in your life, get thirsty for it. And then number three, this is an important one, I think. Be quiet, be quiet. And what I mean is, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, said something in an interview one time, and I think it's true. Um, he said that true revelation comes through silence. And this was 20 years ago, and he said, he said, I'm worried that we have so much noise in the world. People don't know how to be silent anymore. As soon as one person's quiet, the other person's gotta jump in and let them know everything that they know and how smart, you know. True revelation comes through silence. And so what I'm saying is the phone Bible, that's a good thing, I use it. But for this, put the phone in a different room. Don't use the computer. Get a paper, physical Bible. Or print out some scripture from the computer on a piece of paper. Go somewhere away from people, away from your stuff, away from distractions. Read a little bit of scripture. Read about the Holy Spirit. Read about Jesus. Talk to God. Ask him for wisdom to understand. Ask him for direction on what you should do next. And then be quiet. It's kind of uncomfortable. How long is he going to do this? We got to get comfortable with the silence. And I'm not saying that God's gonna blow down your door with a big yell of what you should do. But if you're not listening, sure ain't gonna hear. Sure not gonna hear. Listen, we're in a fight. We're in a fight for our lives. We're in a fight for our livelihoods. We're in a fight for our faith. It's no wonder Paul, when he wrote to his protege, Timothy, he said, fight the good fight of the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. Timothy, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of eternal life now. Timothy, it's not just something that, that, that happens then, but it begins now and it lasts until then, don't, don't wait until you physically die to grab a hold of it. You gotta fight the fight of faith so that you can lay hold of that, so that you can have the best life you can have right now, right here, the full life, the abundant life that Jesus talked about. You gotta fight. And it's gonna be painful, but it's worth it. It's worth it. 
if you believe Jesus, if you believe his truth and the truth that God has laid out for you as it relates to how you should live your life, and if you believe that Jesus was telling the truth when he said, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you have that power, then it's worth the fight. It's worth the fight. So how do we fight the good fight? I think it might look something like this. Fighting the good fight means that we leverage the power of the Holy Spirit to trust the truth of God's word over our own feelings and human reasoning. So we leverage the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can trust the truth of God's word over our own feelings and our own human reasoning because that stuff's flawed. We deny sin's attempts to rule us by refusing to obey its desires. Remember, it's oppressing you, it's coming against you. You don't have to do what it says. It can whisper a temptation in your ear, you know what you can do? You can do what scripture says, you can march that to the judgment seat and test it. And because you've been reading, and because you've been learning, and because you've been having conversation, you're gonna go, you know what? When I put that up against the test of what Jesus said and God said of how shall live my life, the answer is no. So you're gone, thought. You don't have to do what it says. So we deny sin's attempts to rule us by refusing to obey its desires and we take up our cross daily and deny ourselves. That's what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23. He said, if anybody wants to come after me and follow me, let them first deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And for the people he was speaking to, they knew very well what that meant because people took up their crosses on a regular basis and were crucified on the corner of streets. And said they knew what Jesus was saying, that Jesus was saying, if you wanna follow me, you may have to take up a physical cross. You may have to die for this. You may have to die for me. And that was a reality for some of them. But there's good news for us. Most of us, if not none of us in this room, is God asking us to die for him. But when he says, take up your cross, he's saying, live for me. Deny those fleshly desires. Don't answer the phone when sin and temptation calls. Get it out, deny yourself, deny that, deny the flesh, cling to the spirit, cling to the power, cling to the resurrection, the restoration, the masterpiece that I want to make out of your life. Cling, fight that fight. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what your common struggles are. Maybe it's resisting a temptation. Maybe it's finally telling somebody and getting the help you need for the anger or depression or addiction. 
Maybe you need to stop spending money you don't have to buy stuff to impress people that you don't even know and you probably wouldn't even like if you met them. Because you're digging your family into a financial hole and you're in debt. It's gonna affect your children. It's gonna affect their children. Also, we can look cool at the stoplight. We gotta change some of this stuff. Maybe you gotta squash your pride. Squash your pride to the point where you go to the person and you say, I'm, I'm sorry, or I need help. Maybe you need to start holding your tongue. You don't need to just lash out like you've been. You need to work on that and you need to change that. I don't know what it is for you, but whatever it is, it's worth the fight. It's worth the fight. And you have the Holy Spirit power, the resurrection power on your side. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I'm just grateful to you for your love for us, God, and that it is so overwhelming and nonsensical and extravagant that even though we messed things up, Lord, you, you made things perfect for us and we messed up. We messed it up. And you sent Jesus. It wasn't your fault, but you made it your responsibility to come take our mess and make a masterpiece. And God, you restored us through Jesus. And God, you didn't leave us there. You didn't leave us as orphans. You said, I'm sending the helper. I'm sending the spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. God, you've been so generous to us. And I just wanna say thank you. And God, I just wanna ask you, whatever it looks like Whatever it means, God, I, I just ask that, that we would get thirsty for the Holy Spirit. God, that we would get hungry to learn and to know and to tap into whatever that power is, whatever potential it has in our life, however you wanna use it. God, that we wouldn't neglect that part of your Trinity, that we would leverage that power, that we would ask for that power. God, and that we would see things change in our lives and in the lives of the people around us that we love so dearly. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.